Hello, and welcome back to Customer Marketing Catch Up. Today, I'm going to be talking to Leslie Patterson, who is Vice President of Customer Advocacy and Engagement at BMC Software. Today, we are going to be talking about how to approach executive conversations when setting up a new customer advocacy or customer marketing team. First, though, here is a very quick word from our sponsors, Influitive. This podcast is brought to you by Influitive, the world's number one customer marketing and advocacy platform designed to supercharge customer engagement and deliver social proof at scale. From referrals and references to reviews and video testimonials, Influitive does it all. Close more deals all with a customer-first approach through Influitive. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. And we've got a very interesting episode coming up today. Um, we have one Leslie Patterson as our guest today. So welcome, Leslie. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Eve. I'm excited to be here. And of course, we've got the wonderful Ari returning as co-host. Hello again, Ari. Hi. I, Leslie didn't believe me when I said this, but I'm so excited for this. This is my number one favorite topic. I think this is something that everybody's looking to hear more about. And it's so relevant. It's so it's so pertinent right now in this point in time. And Leslie, there is nobody, there's absolutely nobody better out there than Leslie to share this story and this journey with us. So I'm excited. Thank you, Ari. I'm going to try and live up to this now. <laughs> Let's start on that point then, shall we? And um, why don't we begin by talking a little bit about you and kind of where your career is currently and and how you got there? Yeah, so um, I am currently at a company called BMC, been around for quite some time. Um, and they, um, they were really at a point where, um, you know, looking to kind of rebuild the image of the brand. And um, one of the elements of that, that um, our CMO was um, found to be incredibly important was really tapping into that advocacy community and building that up and leveraging the voice of those advocates um, moving forward and having that really be a key part of the whole rebranding and um, especially the priorities among the marketing leadership team. So um, I came over to BMC in uh, the last couple of days of May. Um, so I'm hot on, what is this, my fifth week, I think. <laughs> so, um, and then prior to that, I was at uh, Genesis, um, had a really great time there for about four and a half years, was able to build up a team and we delivered some pretty tremendous success there. Um, prior to that, I was at Oracle for uh, eight years in the um, uh, customer engagement space. So, and then a couple other places before that, but actually I've been doing advocacy for a long time, not to date myself, but I remember when um, I had been in advertising right out of college. And what I realized in advertising is as the new one and the young one, you are doing the most work and getting paid by far the least. So I had friends that were in this space called software. And I was like, wait a minute, they're driving around in brand new Jeeps. I want a brand new Jeep. Maybe I should get into software. So I had interviewed for a CSM role and they were like, no, no, yeah, this is, you're not going to get this, but we have this reference program that we're building. Would you like to join this? So um, I actually did that way back a while ago. So 
um, been doing this way back when, even before advocacy, the word advocacy was associated with, with this um, practice. It was, it was strictly references. So um, it's been pretty cool to watch it evolve over the years. You got started in references? References, uh-huh. Doing reference fulfillment in uh, a region, yeah. And then we decided, you know, there's got to be a better, more pragmatic way to utilize these references. So we started building a bit more of a program structure to it. So, yeah, I had, so I've known a lot about your journey and I did not know that one. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. References, heartbeat to all advocacy. So heartbeat. Yep. That's wonderful. Well, what I wanted to maybe focus on is you talked a little bit about kind of creating a program, creating structure. And I think you've got, um, you know, quite a lot of experience within creating brand new teams around things like advocacy. And so I think to kind of start off our conversation today, um, I wanted to begin with the idea of if there's somebody listening who has just been asked to set up a brand new team with you, for you, with your experience, what would be the first thing that you would want to establish between yourself and your executive stakeholders um, before anything else when setting up this kind of team? Yeah, so um, I, I've done this the wrong way and I've, I've learned what I hope is the right way. <laughs> so I can speak from a little bit of experience with a skin knee on this. I approach this um, and I say one of the most essential things that you should do is establish a two-way dialogue. And that two-way dialogue, especially with your executive leaders um, or executive stakeholders, has to be on your end heavier on the listening side and lighter on the talking or telling side. It's one thing for you to come in and be very prescriptive with what program you think um, or you even believe wholeheartedly would work in that environment. It's another to hear what it is to each of those executives um, that will be a home run for them. You have to be able to be mindful of those objectives of theirs. And if at all possible, incorporate those uh, into the program, either through structure or through activities or execution um, with I've done the telling part, um, was able to make it successful, but in hindsight, I, I honestly believe I would have got farther um, faster if I would have been heavier on the listening part. And that's hard because I'm so often you get into these, these um, conversations or into these organizations or structures and you're the only person there that truly gets advocacy. And you're like, wait a minute, I know what I'm doing. I, I've done this before. You haven't in your head. That's what you're thinking, right? But you have to be able to curtail that and do more listening because the worst thing you could do is be the teller and not the listener and find out, oh, they didn't even, when they were talking about advocacy programs, their mindset was in a totally different place than where I am. We are like two ships passing in the night and we're never going to meet. So it's, it's harder to catch up after that. Yeah. And that's where you're going to find yourself often working in these silos where people will continue to ask you. So, so what do you do? <laughs> that's the most painful question. Right. And 
you know you do not have your executive's ear if they have to ask you that or they ask that of someone else who asks you and it comes to word of mouth that's how disconnected you are i think what leslie just nailed was and it's something and i love the expression with the skinned knee right (laughs) absolutely something i personally have done myself and it's it takes so much longer to get everyone to come around you. And what she's talking about is creating champions out of your stakeholders, right? Out of the executive. And you can't do that if you're not solving their problems, right? If you're solving everyone else's or your own. And so they will give to you on a silver platter what they actually need. If you listen and you ask the right questions and you sit back, they will tell you what it is. And it's not always going to start with what you want, but I promise you that if you start with what they need, and you solve and you start to build on that, they will give you so much more rope to go build the things that you know you need to do, right? And that's what Leslie's really hitting at here, which is build the bridge first before you drive over it. I like to ask the question of um, what would an advocate, if an advocacy program was ideal for you and your group, department, organization, fill in the blank, what would that look like? What would it deliver for you? When you ask that in an open-ended question like that, that's when you're going to get a lot of goodness and learning. Again, if you put on your listening hat though, um, and just let them talk, you know, don't come in over the top and say, oh, well, we do that. Nope. You know, you do that. You know, you've done that. Surprise and delight later. Listen now. Very good point. Um, I think, um, Yeah, it feels almost a little bit like talking, kind of going back to a previous conversation that Ari and I had in one of our previous podcasts is almost applying the idea of internal advocates. You mentioned the idea of um, considering your stakeholders as champions yourself, which I think is incredibly valuable kind of out way to kind of an incredible way to look at it from the very beginning. Um, I think it kind of gets you in the right headspace for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next question is almost a little bit of playing with devil's advocate a bit. Um, you've shown that, that that really the most important thing to start off with is to listen and to understand what your stakeholders want from you when they're asking you to create this kind of teams. But when you get into those conversations, if you're not getting a lot of that from their side, what main points would you put forward when answering the kind of why of establishing these kinds of teams within these companies? Yeah, um, I'll preface my answer by saying the really, really good news is you have to, I've noticed um, at this point in my career, I have to do, I have to do a lot less of the why this team is important discussions anymore it's becoming more and more apparent at the executive levels, at even the boardroom conversations, the power of customer advocacy and a strong customer advocacy program. Um, So I feel as though that conversation is less of me doing the selling. Um, But what I would say when I I took a step back and thought, okay, put myself in the shoes of someone who uh, is still at that point where they're having to essentially sell the advocacy program. I think that there's three things that are critical. You have to have efficiency, you have to have economy, 
and you have to have impact and be able to articulate that impact. The efficiency has to come in the fact that you've structured your team to where by making one single ask, whether that's to your advocacy community, hopefully you've been able to build up an active advocacy community, um, by making one ask to that community, you can be delivered with some very fast responses. Or like I'm a big believer in the structure of having customer engagement directors in regional locations to build relationships directly with the most strategic advocates and, and strategic customers that we wanna cultivate into advocates. So by having them in those regions, it's beautiful for me because I can get an ask for, you know, hey, we need a customer to speak at, you know, this event at this level. I send out one request to that team and boom, I've got a whole bunch of possible pursuits that we can do to lock in from um, advocate uh, speakers. Um, but the economy is as well is you've got to be able to leverage the scale um, of the team. So what I mean by that is um, you've got to, like for the engagement directors, for example, they have to have the skill set to be able to go and build very strong relationships with anywhere from 30 to maybe 40 customers. And that is not an easy skill set to have. It takes um, a lot of experience. It takes um, the uh, professional poise that's necessary to have C-level conversations, um, but it also takes an extreme level of organization. Um, but that having that gives you the economy of reaching a bunch of customers with just one person, right? So we build that model out to where with literally um, a series of five to seven headcount, you've got your globe covered. That's pretty economical. Um, but then the impact to me, this is where I'm really focused on, and Ari knows this, we've had a lot of conversations about this. I am hyper focused on articulating the impact of the advocacy uh, program and what it can do to an organization, either through the form of influenced uh, bookings or forecasts, or also through um, the ability to articulate, hey, this is what happens with your uh, advocates, uh, your the, the customers in your advocacy program, um, when they're engaged, they last a lot longer with you because they feel sticky. Be able to relay that into um, metrics and dashboards, that's how you articulate your impact. And to be able to do all three of those, efficiency, economy, and impact, I mean, I have yet to encounter someone who does not want all three of those. Yeah, and I'll throw a bonus one on there, which is retention of employee retention. Right. One of the things yeah. when when you're not building out your teams appropriately and when you're not um, leveraging the resources appropriately to what their skill sets are and you have people like teams of one that you see in customer marketing a lot or one person responsible for rapport that is right. Their charter is just unmanageably large. And what do you see there? You see high turnover and you see unhappy employees who don't put it all in. They don't have that ownership that every executive wants to see ownership and the responsibility they hire you for your big brains 
right? And they want to see you use them. But when you feel so stretched, so thin, it's hard to, to tap into that resource and that churn happens. So if you can show how much more efficient you'll be, even how you will affect your customer success team and relieving them from all this work and having to guard their, their customers, that's a huge stat that you can put in there by showing how much work you can reduce, right? By doing a work study on that. Um, I will say, you know, pinning on what Leslie said, something that's... I think hypercritical is sometimes we can think about measurement as quota filling. This is how many case studies we'll get. This is how many reviews we'll get. This is how many you will dig yourself in a hole as someone who is, who is relegated to a very um, tactical level and not a strategic That's mindset. Not a tail chasing. It's, it's all right. Just in a circle. Mm -hmm. What you need to do, what Leslie, and I'm only bringing this back up again because Leslie said it, but I want everyone to hear it, like, again, which is you need to talk about the business impact. Are you shortening deal cycles, right? Are you increasing the velocity? Do you have a higher conversion rate when engagement happens through advocacy, right? All of those things that tie. And, And when this goes back to Leslie's first response, which is ask questions. What do they care about? What needles are they trying to move? Are they trying to grow by 40%? How are you helping them grow by 40%, right? So you need to know what it is and you need to speak to each of those executive stakeholders because though the company is all trying to row in one direction, each of them does have their own org, right? And their own part of that org has some fundamental metrics that they have to meet and you want to support that to really get them in alignment. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I I cringe every time I hear someone talk about, um, oh, we want to hit, we want to uh, produce thirty stories this year, or we want to, you know, um, create ten videos, customer videos. I would, and I say this all the time. I'm sure my team is so tired of me saying this, but I would rather have five really, really impactful and keyword relatable stories and use those like crazy then have 30 that don't necessarily hit the mark on what we have to articulate either to the market or to the prospects um, or that um, are so focused just on product and they don't get to the business impact um, that there to me that's I feel like I'm wasting money when I do that because each of these, I mean, these stories aren't free to produce, you know? So um, that's why I call it tail chase. I mean, it's one thing to watch. I love watching my dog chase her tail. I think it's cute as can be, but when I watch advocacy teams chase their tails on that, or I hear them doing that, oh my gosh, I just want to lean in and say, no, 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 stop, stop. <laughs> you're You're not going to get to what you need to by doing that. They are laughing at me. <laughs> no, it's just, I'm picturing like grabbing a dog who's chasing its tail right yeah. now. Like, I'm like, do you grab it by the tail? Do you grab it by its waist? Like, where do you grab the dog? Because, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's just, when you've been doing this as long as we have, right, we've seen it all and we've done it all. We've been there and we're only sharing that, that, that skinned knee experience because we know how frustrating it can be. And you don't understand why you're not getting more attention and why you aren't in larger conversations and why you aren't having slides at the executive level. And it's because these aren't the slides that are going to move the needle for them, right? It's not tied to what they need to do to move the business forward, right? 
You're talking about byproducts of a good program, not the strategy of the program itself. I feel like having been in this space for so long and and having several skin knees, I, at this point in my career, am super focused on doing what I can to pave the path, to make it a smoother path for those that are perhaps at the point where they're building their first team or um, at the point where they're wanting to make a career shift from one role into a customer advocacy role. And they're like, well, where do I even start? Um, I'm really hoping that, that by having these conversations and talking about things like being able to articulate impact and you know, listening more to your executives, if you do those things, this will work. And I'm only saying that because I've done so many things outside of that over the years. And the, the job has been so much harder than what it can be. So I'm, I'm really hoping that this can be helpful for someone who might be in that, that spot. I think that I kind of just got goosebumps because you're speaking to a lot of my life, right? Where I fought the current. And I know that people are listening to this some of us are lucky enough, like where I am now, right? Obviously, they get it from the top down. It's obvious, right? I work at a customer marketing and automation software company, so they understand the value of customer marketing and advocacy. But at many of my jobs, I created the role. I was the first of it. They didn't know what it was. So not only are you managing your knowledge down, but you're also managing your knowledge up. And it's a really tiring experience when you're constantly talking both ways and you're constantly trying to teach and you constantly feel like people just aren't getting it. That's really hard. It's really taxing. And you're making it harder on yourself by having to stick your stake in the ground, which I've done, right? Being the martyr at your company who's going to die on the vine for your customer and doing it the right way. You can accomplish both things, but you have to start with, you work for a business. You have to start with what are we trying to accomplish as a company? And then how do I filter my perspective and my views and my strengths and my creative ability to solve problems into that? Not trying to solve my own problems that I find first within the company, right? And so that it's, it, I don't think Leslie will be able to top what she started the entire conversation with, which is listen first, right? (laughs) And even if you've been at a company and you feel like you have listened forever and you've gone through that already and you've been there and now they're saying build out a team because they get it. Listen again. (laughs) The questions again, say, I'm about to embark on this. I would love to get your thoughts on what do you think priority one, two, and three should be? And go around to each of the stakeholders then take it back to all of them and say, here's what I've heard from everyone. Here are these. I want to collectively figure out what do we think as a group? Now you're going to be showing some real executive thought right here. If you are able to collectively get all of those cats herded right in your own company and they see you able to do that, you're going to get a lot of clout, right? You will make a mark that you are doing something for the business and listening, which is what they want to see and putting it into a strategic output, right? So you're actioning on what they're saying and you're prioritizing big rocks, little rocks off of what they're saying and you're doing it as a team. No, Leslie, I think we, we could just cut the whole session off from here on out. Eve's <laughs> like, wait, I've got more though. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, it definitely sounds like from from what you, you've been saying that, um, 
it's probably quite easy when you're coming from a customer focused point of view to finish on you know case studies and stuff which is what it's important to showcase to the customer more than it is for the internal teams i think people it might be easy to get a bit stuck on that rather than think about what's really important for your stakeholders versus what's important for your customers um which you know is a really good thing because that shows that you're you're prioritizing your customers but within these conversations you need to be able to prioritize what's important for your stakeholders as well um and so kind of moving on from that um with you know setting up this kind of team you've got the go ahead you've had this listen with these with your stakeholders you know these are what the priorities are this is what your stakeholders have said this is what we want from your team from, from that point on what would you say is the first thing that you would then prioritize when setting up such a team and by which i mean you have these prioritize priorities what actually kind of concrete thing headcount budget something you know anything else would you then need to prioritize in order to be able to achieve those kinds of things yeah so i look at it as very much a sequential process um so when you have those executive conversations i always like to especially if i get a sense in that conversation that that executive is picking up what i'm putting down um i will close out that conversation by saying can i count on your support as i go to build this team you know together can i count on your support for either feedback or lending a voice of uh support um you know throughout the the executive team for what it is we're trying to do here you're going to find out real fast who your allies are those allies are critical and the reason being is um, when you have that support, you can then go it, the conversation about um, having, you know, more headcount, more budget, et cetera, becomes so much easier than it does if you're just another person asking for more headcount and they don't get why they don't get back to that impact. They don't get what the potential impact could be. Um, and I'm not saying they don't get it because they don't understand, you know, advocacy. I think that advocacy today has evolved into so much beyond just, you know, reference calls fulfilling the uh, needs of the account managers or AEs in the field. Um, there's so much more impact out in the market for it that um, I, I'm a big believer that, that there needs to be um, a broader education of that. But but when you get that executive support, that then gives you the freedom. And that freedom is something I am a giant believer in. Um, freedom gives you the ability to go and ask for the headcount, ask for budget, but you can also get real creative. And you can go and do things that might not fit the mold, if you will, of a typical, hey, this is the way we do things in this program. Mm -mm. advocacy is a little bit different you can you can because it's so um undefined still um you can go and get super creative with how you utilize your advocates you can get creative with how you pull in different members of the team um, or the organization um, to help build up the story that that advocate has to tell and um case in point like i i look at um for example 
um, in my previous company at Genesis, there was this amazing team called this value consulting team. And we would go and partner with them to see, okay, what accounts were you involved in? Um, because we know those accounts are extremely educated on what value it is they're getting out of the solution. Um, we go and partner with them to look at, okay, let's build our part of our account list based upon those accounts, because we know we're walking into some instantly brilliant advocates that can clearly articulate the value. That's a much easier lift than if you go and talk to a customer who's like, yeah, it runs, here's the speeds and feeds. So I would say getting that executive support is probably the first thing I go and do. Then headcount, because to Ari's point earlier, you can't do it all. One person cannot do advocacy all by themselves. It is, you will burn yourself out. Um, having the right headcount utilized to their skill sets is so, so critical. Um, and then, you know, like I say, continuously articulate the impact. I can't stress that enough. That's something I, I did not do well earlier in my career. And now I, it is, I mean, I'm constantly thinking of how do we articulate the impact? So, um, so yeah, executive support and then headcount. A very good point. Um, so, I mean, my next question is kind of a little bit, again, kind of leaning into a, like a hypothetical situation, really. So we've had successful conversations and I, in an ideal world, you'll have this, a good rapport built up with your stakeholders. You'll have them on board and engaged and be supportive with you throughout the conception of these kinds of teams. Um, but what happens when you come across a scenario when that communication has maybe been cut off? Maybe there's just some scenario outside of your control means that um, the ability to collaborate with your stakeholders has become more challenging. Um, what, what do you do and how do you handle times like that when executives become more resistant to providing things that you need for these teams? This is a big one. This one. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to hear what Leslie says now. <laughs> well, I would tell you, if you would have asked me this question, Eve, a few years ago, I probably would have answered it differently than I, I will right now. What I would say right now is I'm a big believer in presenting um, both a talk track as well as a visual representation of current state versus future state. Current state is going to tell whomever it is who maybe they've part of their listening ears are closed to you right now. Current state is going to acknowledge everything from, hey, we've been successful with X, Y, and Z. Here are our challenges is, you know, A, B, and C, right? Future state. And again, if you've done your homework at the beginning and understood what that executive wants out of the advocacy program, future state, you can make sure you address every one of those challenges, concerns, big, big bets, big wins that they want. If you can paint that future state very clearly to them. And again, I cannot stress enough the you've got to have it in a conversation form. But don't sell yourself short. Put it in a visual form too. 
Um, so many people, the impact is lost after the conversation ends. The visual will stay in their heads. Um, but I love that current state versus future state conversation track right now. It's really hard, right? When you are already feeling isolated or like your back's against the wall. And what Leslie's getting at is a way to continuously keep those lines open or re-engaged. And it's, it's just, to me, I think it, it doesn't get scarier or harder when you're backed into those positions, right? That's when it's like, it feels like all hope can be lost. And it's not, it's not, it's not time to start looking for a new job. It's not, you've built so much, you've done so much. It's just a pivoting point. It's a time to learn and to lean in and have the right conversations. And sometimes they're tough and sometimes it's giving space. And so, yeah, that that's one that I, in the past, have gone to that state after four years of being at a company and then you have to leave or you feel like you have to leave and I have it's like, and then it kills you because you know, all the, it's not just your, your colleagues, right? It's not just your coworkers that you're leaving. It's your customers too, in some ways. And that's really hard. Like um, really, really hard. There. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I still keep in contact with a lot of my ex-customers, but it's hard when you're not in the day to day and they're not, you know, one of your customers anymore. It's not the same. And you try to keep up, but you all have the new customers that you've got to keep up with. And our time is limited. And it's, so it's really hard. If there's, and so why, if I were to go back to my younger self and say, I'd be like, Hey, you, you can make this, but you need to pivot. Right. And not always. So I'm not telling everyone to stick through every situation. That's not what I'm getting at here, but I'm saying that don't let a hurdle derail your entire race, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of metaphors today. I would also say, um, as I think about this more, Eve, when I'm thinking of, you know, that challenge or perhaps even resistance with some of the executives, that even more reinforces why being able to articulate the impact is so important. And I don't just mean putting a slide together with a sea of logos that you've worked with. That's great. But, you know, salespeople in particular, they see what we call NASCAR slides all the time, right? I am talking about, when I talk about impact, I mean, find what I always refer to as a really smart buddy somewhere that understands how to tie in all the opportunities ID, opportunity IDs from your CRM system into some sort of a tool that can give you a dashboard. So um, at my previous company and, and even at BMC today, having the Salesforce IDs of the companies that you're touching and you're influencing and you're interacting with, et cetera, have them tied in to where we're mapping them in a Tableau dashboard of, okay, uh, let's take, for example, a customer advisory board. The customer went to this meeting in, you know, whatever month, December. Um, since December, what has happened with those opportunity IDs? Have there been new ones formed? Have the existing ones either accelerated 
Or was there a product added to an opportunity ID that was not even in the portfolio of products that were being reviewed until that customer heard about it in a customer advisory board? That's impact that you can show. You put that in any sort of a visual um, dashboard. I I'm a big fan of the Tableau dashboards. I don't know if it's just real simple, and I'm not overly techie, so I can I can actually drive one myself. <laughs> um, but I want I always want to be able to say, okay, you know, by having these customers engaged, we've been able to influence X amount of bookings or we've been able to increase the forecast by X amount. You do that by having someone who's, again, super smart, go and build these tools for you. Um, finding buddies in MarTech or um, anyone who understands the backend systems and can do this for you, that's gonna be your ticket to being able to articulate impact. Because guess what? Nobody can argue with numbers, nobody. And that dashboard is your is your ticket. Yeah. And not argue with numbers <laughs> that are solid numbers. Mm. Yes. Right. Yes. You cannot, if, and especially if they're their numbers, right? If they're their numbers. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if you if you understand what affected those numbers, like the story about the advisory board, have stories to go along with that when you're relaying that, you know, what the impact is. Don't just slap a dashboard up there. Tell a story, make it relatable to them. Maybe even include one of their customers that they know. Um, that, that's gonna make a much bigger impact. Um, and it could get you from that state of being challenged or feeling as though you've got, you know, kind of half a listener with that executive to holy cow, your stakeholder is now fully engaged again because they get it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh there's definitely no such thing as going too far when it comes to displaying impact and putting okay. the effort into kind of showing nope. that. Nope. I'll, I'll give one more. Kind of the ground up is the garage band swell that that I've used before. So I um I it was never like I really had a well-established relationship with our CRO. But I, I knew that this new CRO was calling the shots of a previous company of mine and was restructuring the way the sales team worked and had a lot of experience of very large commercial companies in the past. I mean, huge, right? $30 billion companies um, in revenue, not in, in projected value. But um, I didn't really have a direct line to him and I didn't really have an established, but as things went, we kind of got even more isolated as I got moved to a different part of the organization, but I knew I needed his buy-in for things. And I, I wanted to try some challenging programs that were going to be very different from the way this company worked and I needed to get on. And so what I kept doing was building rapport with those who reported directly to him and making sure that I was in the chatter, right? Making sure that certain things I was doing was giving them something to report up that they were working on, right? And so that he kept hearing like little inklings and little inklings and little inklings of it. And that like allowed me, it was like he was starting to get to know me without knowing me, right? And so that allowed him to kind of understand. And then when I wanted to reach out, I waited my time. I waited, I was like, and I checked in, I said, hey, 
did you talk about this program? So I validated that this conversations it had, then I had the conversation to have with him to start to then ask him, right? What was it that he was looking to do? And I asked exactly Leslie's question, which was, what is a successful program in your eyes look like? What does that mean to you? Now I will tell you, he flipped it on me and he said, I don't know. You tell me what a successful program looks like. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> With a bro. And so I gave him my pitch and I had my story ready. And I'll tell you, my CMO at that time helped me work on the story, right? Because he knew that everything I had been working on, he finally got it. He got it. But it took him hours with me to get it. And that wasn't on him. That was on me, right? I didn't have a clear and concise way to articulate everything. And that's when I came up with the well analogy that I've used. And so that's when he pulled it. When he said, you tell me, I said, okay, well, let me tell you a story. I call this my advocacy well. And I'm going to tell you about the well analogy. And I walked him through it. And I was able to not only get his attention, but I framed to him what we were trying to do in the law, like what was our North Star for advocacy and how are we going to get there, right? Without every single turn, they don't need every turn. Nobody needs every turn except for the people who are driving the cars, okay? But they do need to know that you have a map, you have a route and you're planning to get there. And here's the time you're looking to take to get on this road trip, right? Current state, future state. I'd say future state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that leads on actually very, very nicely into my into my next question, really. It's kind of almost answered it um, with kind of the the conversation that, that you said, Ari, about kind of engaging relationships, for, you know, cross-functionally through other people in different teams. And then, you know, your smart buddy, as you said, Leslie. But again, I'll kind of bring the question back to you again. Um, kind of how important would you say is it for new teams like this to establish within the organization structure itself how important customer advocacy and experience is and maybe why it should be prioritized as well? Well, being that I'm in advocacy, I would <laughs> say it's critical. But um, I also believe, like I, I think I said it on one of the last conversations um, earlier, is um, having um, someone else, especially at the executive level, to advocate for what it is you're looking to deliver, that's an incredibly powerful tool. And that's something that um, I think if I could go back to myself, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, I would have doubled down on that a little harder um, because that can be actually incredibly powerful. Because then guess what? When at that you know ELT level, they're talking about the goodness of this program that you're about to deliver, that trickles down and it trickles mm -hmm. down really fast. And then all of a sudden you start getting like my calendar right now is so full with people saying, hey, I want to introduce you. I want to get you connected because I believe in what it is you guys are going to deliver. And I'll say, hey, how'd you hear about us? Oh, well, so-and-so at the ELT level was mm -hmm. talking about it. That's incredibly powerful. Um, I having that and then having your team very clearly define, okay, what can we accomplish in the first three months? What can we accomplish in six months? What can we accomplish in nine, 12, et cetera? Um, 
is also super critical because number one, it sets expectations, not just for your team, but for everyone else who's going to be interfacing with your team. And it shows respect for um, the fact that, look, by setting these expectations and these goals, we are not going to burn ourselves out in the first three to six months because that's not going to do anyone any good. The whole key to a great program is longevity and having, especially when it comes with customer relationships, I loved the fact that oftentimes um, at several companies I've been at, the engagement directors, their relationships were the tenured relationships among the account teams. That's huge. When you start talking about advocacy, the fact that they had outlasted you know, one, two, maybe even three account managers um, with the relationship they have with that customer, that's huge. So being able to, um, you know, like I say, have the, the executive advocates talking about what you're going to do and spreading the goodness, but then setting realistic goals for your program, that's also super critical when you start it. I'll give you some actionable advice here too, uh, to riff off of how do you get your internal champions um, and mentors and people within your own organization to speak on your behalf, ask for advice and don't ask for their opinion on something because when you ask for someone, here's a, here's a, here's a little hack in, in language, which is when you ask for someone's opinion, you make them a separate entity than yourself, their opinion versus your opinion versus someone else's they're isolated. They're on their own. And it's okay to get someone's opinion, right? When you're trying to feel the room and take ideas in and co-create, but an opinion absolutely separates you from someone else. It's owned. If you ask for advice, you have now connected yourself to that person because that person wants to see their advice come to fruition. They want to see what they're telling you. And so they now have, without even knowing it, have an attachment to you because they want, they want to be right, right? They want to see this work. And so they're going to check in. They're going to follow up. They're going to see, did that work? Did you listen to me? Did you not? And so it's your job to take their advice and show them how it's helped. You want a fast way to build bridges with your executives? Take their advice. Use it. And then communicate that back to them, how it's worked, how you've approached it, what you've done. You will bring them right into your corner, right? Even people that might be a little isolated from you. It's a great way to build bridges. So that's a little language hack that I started using very early on when looking for soft mentors, right? You know, like, like Leslie, who's on this call. Okay. Ari, I would say that that's applicable also to even if you have an established program in place, um, one of the things that, um, you know, coming out of Genesis, we, we had an amazing program in place and we, you know, I started looking around going, okay, who, who have we not yet tapped into at the executive level? Um, and we ended up reaching out into some of the, um, ELT members outside of the, you know, the CPO who we were close with and the, the CCO who we were close with. And obviously we worked for the CMO, um, but getting them involved in some of the activities too, anytime you broaden your stakeholders at that executive level, that's only going to result in goodness. So what we ended up doing was we were hosting these um, executive uh, roundtables and 
we thought, well, let's pull in our CFO. He has great perspectives on this particular topic. And it was such an exceptional experience. He was, I mean, I give him a lot of credit. He was a trooper and he was kind of going into something where he's like, okay, Leslie, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but it was exceptional. And then from that point forward, anytime we knocked on his door and said, hey, we want to get you involved, boom, it was like not even a second of hesitation to where the last time we knocked on his door, it was, hey, whatever you need, I'm there. I, I got your back. And we didn't have that even with a successful program. So continuing to evolve that and bring in fresh new bodies into your ally team, that's huge for sustainability as well as continued growth. We deal with our customers, you know, turn everyone into champions around you, up, down, sideways, left, right. That's what we do. That's our job. We are bridge builders, right? We are agents of change. And we're like sports agents. We're like an actors and entertainment agent, right? We help connect people and show them off. We don't make stars, but we shine lights on them. And that works internally. And that works, you know, with your own team, right? And, and I, but one thing that I do want, and I, and I know we kind of covered this earlier, but I, I know people who have tuned into this. One of the things that they want to hear, Leslie, is let's say you've listened, you've gotten the advice, you have the room. And your stakeholders say, hey, we trust you. Tell us what we need to do here. What are the first steps in building out a team? Like, what do you think the most crucial components to building a team out are in advocacy and customer marketing? Yeah, understanding what the needs are of the business. So um, what I mean by that is, do they need more public validity? from the customer voices. So does it need to be along that line of case studies? Does it need to be um, that they need to um, heighten the executive attendance at some of their events? Does it mean that they need to um, really shore up what their presence is with prospects, even before that prospect has taken a meeting with a salesperson or received a phone call or email from a BDR? So do you need to beef up your peer review presence? Um, I think understanding the needs of the, the business and then building in um, programs and activities that address those needs right out of the gate are critical. Um, otherwise, you're off delivering stuff that doesn't mean something to the business. And it's immediately going to not feel as though, oh, this is really impacting me in a right way. It's going to feel like, oh, there they go off doing their thing in advocacy land. Um, I think being able to say, okay, what do we need to have happen in the first, I love the six month mark. Cause you've got enough, you've, you've had enough time to drink the Kool-Aid, you know, your way to the bathroom. You're at the point where you're like, okay, I I've got the majority of my team in place. Let's go deliver, you know, enough about the product to start having conversations with customers being able to understand in that first six months what is going to not only capture the attention of the leadership team, but also get them going, yeah, that that stuff, we want more of that. That's what's going to help your team grow. But you'll never be able to, to get there if you don't understand what is it that the business needs. Yeah, that's it's really, you just made me super like, you just gave me a whole new way of visualizing things. I actually just started to think of these buckets, right? 
So you are we got, going into another well, Ari? <laughs> yeah, like like we have we have our our branding. We need more logo presence in the world. People need to just understand what our company is at a higher level, right? Like we exist in this small world, and it's great. We're the big fish in the small pond, but we need to be a big fish in a big pond. So we need our brand out there. So what is that? That's the comm side. That's analyst. That blah 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 blah. Or we need to be closing more deals right? Our deals are taking too long and getting stretched out too long. And we need our customers to really help with that voice and to really carry reference programs and blah, blah, blah. So you have these big buckets, you have things like, um, well, expansion is really a big need of ours right now within our own customer base, right? And so now you're thinking not just uh, about brand exposure, not thinking about those things, you're really thinking about engagement adoption, right? You're thinking about the life cycle marketing that's going into things. So you can really take these big bucket, bucket philosophies and it's a way to not only prioritize, but then get that buy-in at the big level. Is this our number one? Okay, great. So if this is number two and this is number three, know that what we're solving for first is here. This is going to be our plan of attack. And so now you can map out your timelines, right? And it gives you the ability to say yes and instead of no, right? When new asks came in, great. So I see that's in bucket three. We're working on bucket one. Do you, what's your advice here? Do you think that we should we should deflect some of bucket one so we can handle bucket three right now? Is that what you're asking me to do? Yes and, right? So that you're not taking on more than that's humanly possible. Your teams aren't getting inundated, especially right now when everyone feels you have to say yes to everything, right? So great advice. Thank you. That's you also it. another hidden secret path to the, I need more headcount if you really want that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Very good point. It's been a very, very useful conversation. And um, well, we, we are coming to the end of it, unfortunately, but before we end, um, I wanted to ask, um, you know, we've we've kind of hit on it briefly just recently about the importance of using stories to kind of prove prove value and things like that. And I figured we why not end with doing the same for this conversation and perhaps asking you, Leslie, could you share an example of when you've had a successful executive conversation um, and kind of how that conversation has helped you solidify your teams um, that you set up in the past? Um, yeah, I can tell you a recent one. <laughs> so, Please do. <laughs> <laughs> when I was um, still just at the conversation level with um, my current CMO about, yes, I need an advocacy program. Um, would you be interested? And I was saying, you know, let's talk more about it. What all do we need? What does the business need? Um, one of the things that I said, and it wasn't at the, even the, my goodness, I think it may have been three or four conversations deep was I said, this doesn't happen with just me. There's people that have to do this with me. This is a team. So if you want me, I've got to be able to have the adequate team to do it. And it was because I set the stage at the previous conversations that we were successful with that. And quite frankly, he's just, he's an amazing person at seeing a vision. He and I, are, we, we jive really well together that way. And the fact that that's what we're going for, that vision out there, how do we get there? 
Um, what we sometimes have to curtail ourselves with is, okay, we don't need to get there super fast. Let's slow down a bit. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that conversation was super successful in getting, um, you know, building the team to the size that um, was necessary to deliver what it is we have to go do. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I heard the conversation. She was like, number one, I need the team. Number two, I need Influitive. It was in that order. <laughs> Oddly, I think it was. No. <laughs> well, and I think that that brings up another good point. Having the right people in place is absolutely critical. But then having the tools that make what they do easier, whether it's you know, an advocacy hub, like on the Influitive platform, whether it's something, you know, we have the briefing centers under my team and we're putting, you know, we're signing a contract for a, a tool that creates just boundless efficiencies with getting all those scheduled, getting the follow-up, all that fun stuff, all that stuff that you can do to help make either yourself or your team more efficient it's worth investing in those, those conversations to get your executive allies. It's worth investing in a way um, with the smart people to come up with your impacts um, and, you know, setting the stage appropriately with them, you know, having your visuals, having your talk track, understanding what means something to each of them. So, yeah. Agreed. Can I end on one question? I want to, I want to, this is the first, and I want to start with Leslie and I want to do it from now on. Of course. This is our ending question everyone on the show. You're the test subject. <laughs> if you were going on a long road trip and you stopped into a convenience store before getting started and you can only choose one thing to buy to eat out of that convenience store for the road trip, what would that one thing be? Is it food or liquid? Your choice. I mean, it's kind of a food thing, but I mean, depends on which state you are, what you're allowed to drink in the car. Right? <laughs> I am in Texas. Um, I, I, my weakness when I'm in the car, mind you, I'm not a road trip person. I don't do well in a car over a little while. My husband would tell you I'm miserable to drive with, um, but gummy bears. Gummy bears. They have to be. Like they have to be the the soft ones, hard gummy bears. I mean, no, might as well use those to fill a hole in your tire. I want the soft, like the Albanese ones. <laughs> I think ones she wants to kind of been in your pocket for like four days and like all hot one, like Ferris Bueller's day off the ending scene. <laughs> Possibly, although you've painted such an appetizing picture. I'm not hungry right now. But, <laughs> but I will say if any of you want to talk to Leslie, or get on her map and want to pick her brain and reach out to her on LinkedIn, make sure you send those gummy bears ahead of time. <laughs> oh, my eight-year-old daughter would be so happy. <laughs> All right. Well, on that wonderful, wonderful note, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I've learned lots of things and it's been really, really good. And so thank you very much, Lizzie, for, for joining myself and Ari today. Yeah, happy to lend my experience and my skin knees. So <laughs> hopefully we can take advantage of that another time as well. But wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you to the listeners for listening. Thank you. Uh -huh.